fellow adventurers, I'm Josie Thompson and welcome to You Can Shine podcast, where I explore real stories of real people, just like you and I, who have faced adversities and trials and won. Today I'm here with Joe Williams. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. I met Joe when we were both speaking at the Mind and Its Potential Conference in 2014. His personal story and message about suicide prevention left a very powerful imprint for me and I knew I'd have to invite him along to share his wisdom with us here on the You Can Shine podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about Joe. Joe Williams is a Wiradjuri Walgaloo First Nations born man from Cowra, New South Wales. He lived a 15-year span as a professional sports person, playing in the National Rugby League for South Sydney Rabbitohs, Penrith Panthers and Canterbury Bulldogs before switching to professional boxing in 2009. Although forging a successful professional sporting career, Joe battled the majority of his life with very dark and self-defeating thoughts. He set up a foundation and wrote his autobiography titled Defying the Enemy Within. He has won a number of awards for his work within the community, mental health and suicide prevention sectors. Joe Williams is partner to Courtney and father to five children from three relationships with the children aging from almost three to 16 years old. He says that the Brady Bunch wasn't just a movie, together they somehow make it work. A fun fact about Joe is that the first time I met him in 2014, it was his very first conference presenting about suicide prevention and his personal story. Joe is a lighthouse of hope. Please welcome Joe Williams. Hey Josie, how are you doing? It's good to see you again. Oh, it's so wonderful to see you too, Joe. Joe, I've done a, a bit of a rundown of some of the career highlights of your life. Can you tell us your real story, the story underneath who is Joe Williams? What are some of the formative experiences that have shaped your life? You know, there's multiple Joes. Um, there's the Joe who gets on stage every day and speaks in front of you know, thousands of school kids a week or you know conferences and adults and different businesses and so forth and then there's the guy who takes phone calls from different people who are struggling with with mental distress every you know every every day every night um, and then there's the guy who's a sports person for a lot of years then there's the dad then there's you know the partner but who Joe really is um, is someone who's very different to what Joe, what everyone thinks I am. You know, like uh, people talk about uh, COVID and how's how how it's been as an experience for people. For me, the whole isolation period has been incredible for me. If I'm honest, it's been so good because I, I, I struggle with people. I'll be I'll be honest. Like I'm in I'm in front of thousands of people a week, and and I don't like talking to people a hell of a lot you know i'm i i, I and people are like that's a lie joe you know you, you're in front of you're in front of people every day of the week and you're all you're always you know talking and joking in the life of the party but i'm very much a uh an extroverted intro introvert uh, i'm very, everything that i do is very trained um 
So you can turn it on. I have to. I have to. I've turned it on for a lot of my life because of because of what I went through, the dark stuff, the the, the deep the deeply emotional stuff that I went through, the, 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 the mental torment that I went through from a young age, um, I, I had to turn it on um, to be able to, to, I guess, hide away from what was really happening for me. Now, for the people who don't realise, I've, I've struggled with an inner dialogue for you know, a large part of my life. I... I, on the back of some fairly severe concussions playing rugby league at a young age. Um, I always talk about how two significant things happened to me the, at a young age. I, I signed my first NRL contract at 13 and I had a massive concussion at 13 that started an inner dialogue inside of my head that has planted thoughts, plans and ideas of suicide ever since. So uh, for a large part of my life, I've had a dialogue inside my head telling me to die uh, every single day. Um, you know, in different circumstances, you know, day day in, day out, day out um, ever since I was a 13-year-old kid. So, Joe, even now you have those inner dialogues. Yeah, even 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 to this day, um, you know, and it's it's the subtle things, you know. There's the there's the the constant paranoia that that people are talking about me, that people are. Uh, gossiping behind my back, the constant paranoia that people don't like me, the constant paranoia that 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 feeds to that negative dialogue that I go through again. That that tells me that I'm worthless. That tells me that I shouldn't shouldn't be here anymore. That that plants these thoughts, plans, and ideas of suicide every single day. Um, whether it be driving a car, whether it be um, you know different things that I'm doing. That um, the constant conversation around suicide and death is has been on my uh the 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 tips of my thoughts ever since i was a 13 year old kid so you're how old are you now joe i don't know if i should mention it it hurts (laughs) it hurts me to say it these days um now i'm i'm 37 in in a couple of months time so this is 24 years of constant inner thoughts plans and ideas of suicide yeah how how do you deal with that you just have to don't you you know like i i sort of it's it's there's there's choices in things in life and and the choices for me that that i've confronted and the choices that i i want to live you know there was there was a big part of my life uh and it was culminated in 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 2012 when when i had a uh, an attempt of my life to, and I tried within the power of my two hands to not be sitting here talking this evening. Um, now, I've had to make a choice infinite times throughout my life, whether I should or I shouldn't be here. Um, so for me, it's it's just the, that constant challenge. And the, I, I, I always find the tips and tools that I have, I always find a lesson in it and I always find a positive in it. Um, no matter how hard and how tough get, things get. And, you know, I often talk about building building your life by 1% at a time. Um, you know, it takes 21 years to become 21. So to get to 100%, you need to build 1% at a time. Um, and for me, you know, I, when I'm, I, I check myself every morning, um, you know, whether I'm at 90% with my well-being or I'm at 15%, I've got to get to 16 before I get back to 90 
Um, so it's the small improvements every single day that I'm constantly working on. Um, and it has to be a priority with my life. Otherwise, there's every chance of, that, that I won't be hearing. So, Joe, this, this must be incredible. I can't imagine what it's like to live in a head that has these constant dark thoughts that you still have today. I guess the question I have, and this, this might be something that a lot of people can relate to, is how do you now greet that thought and what has it taken for you to be able to do that? And I'd really love you to share some of these tips and tools that you yourself use to choose life every day. I think the most important thing, Josie, is that I know it's not real anymore. You know, that, that conversation, although it's there, I know that it is not real. Um, the, the, the constant threat and the constant negativity is is that that little inner, inner, inner boy, inner critic that, that talks to me every single day that, that everyone's got. You know, every, I, I speak about it to people every day. Everybody has an inner dialogue in their head. It tells us we're hungry. It tells us that we look good in the mirror. It tells us that we're feeling well. Um, it's just that mine is extremely negative and plays on it a hell of a lot. When I get into those places of vulnerability, it really jumps on me. So I have to make sure that I'm constantly looking at positives. I'm constantly working on my exercise. I'm constantly doing things to slow my head down because with bipolar disorder, diagnosed with bipolar disorder, there's the extreme lows, but there's also the extreme highs, which can be dangerous for me as well. So um, it's really about self-awareness for me. And that has taken me a stack load of time. Don't get me wrong. It, it uh, I, I can't sit here confidently and tell you that it's always been like this. You know, um, it's taken me a stack load of hard work to get to the points that I'm at now in this life. And I was... So, Joe, when you say that you know that that inner conversation isn't real, what do you mean by that? Because it sure as hell sounds real and feels real when it comes up, right? It does. And, and this is where I relate stigma to, right, is, is that everybody talks about stigma is in out there in community and it's, it's other people talking about stigma. But I believe, and this is my personal belief only, is that stigma is a part of what's inside of us. It's stigma is what's implanted in our brain that tells us no one cares, that tells us we don't matter, that tells us we're not worth it. It's because in reality, you know, in 2012 when I ended my life, if, if I picked my phone up and rang my mother when, when I attempted to end my life, if I picked my phone up and, and called my mother and said, mum, I don't think I want to be alive anymore. My mum would have broke down in tears and done absolutely anything she possibly could to be there right with me to make me feel better. The same with my children. If I said, I don't believe I'm a good enough dad for you and I, everything inside my head is telling me that I'm a worthless dad, everything inside my head is telling me that I'm a worthless son, everything inside my head is telling me that I'm no good, I shouldn't be alive. But if we reach out to those people that it's telling us about, of course they would bend over backwards to make sure that we are safe and we are well. So I believe stigma isn't out there in community. Stigma is within. It's stigma is within our own thought processes that plants these ideas that people don't care. It plants these ideas that we don't matter. It plants the ideas that we aren't worthy. 
So stigma is something that's implanted deeply within our own thought process. Because in reality, if we ask people when we're in a tough time or we need help, people will jump out and help us. It's just that we believe that they won't. So it's probably a thought process with us. So then how do you help yourself in those dark moments when the thoughts are there? It's, it's difficult, you know, and, and I'm extremely lucky to, to have, again, I spoke a little bit about, I alluded to the self-awareness of me earlier. Um, I'm, an, I'm an extremely self-aware person to the point where I, I know when I'm not feeling as well as I was the day before. So I analyze, okay, what did I do today that wasn't what I did yesterday? But I'm, but I'm also lucky that with my partner, Courtney, that she's very observant of my behaviors. Um, whilst, you know, we, we did a, a podcast recently and they, they wanted to talk to Courtney. Courtney's the most, the, the most shy person in the world. So she hates, I'm in front of thousands of people a week and she hates walking outside our door, right? Um, and and, and, and I, she said, what do they want to talk about, Joe? And I said, they just want to know how you help me. And, and she said, I don't. You know, you help yourself most of the time. And I said, yeah, but, but what, what do you do or what do, what do you do when I'm not well? And she said, I just leave you alone. And I make sure the kids are out of your way and I make sure that everything's done for you. And I take, I, I try and minimalize any little thing that would set you off on a trigger, right? Because it, it's, it's extremely unfortunate. I have this conversation a lot all the time is that for carers of people with severe mental illness, they walk around on eggshells, mm. you know, because of, because of the tightrope that we walk you know, a lot of the time you now as people who are struggling with dealing with their own thoughts inside our own heads. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Courtney just says, well, all I do is keep the kids out of your way, tell you to go in the room and play your guitar and let you have some rest because I know you'll come out of it. And I know that you've got to do the things that you've got to do. Um, and again, you know, she, she talks to me about my exercise um, as a, a former athlete, but but somebody who knows that exercise creates the natural endorphins in our head to make us feel well, right? So she'll say to me, okay, go for a run and then we'll talk about it after. And I'm like, it's not that, I'm just having a bad day. She's like, well, go for a run, we'll chat about it after. And I go for a run and I come back crying, like, how long was I like that for? And she was like, oh, two or three days, but, you know, it is what it is. We'll We'll get through it again now. Mm. So it sounds like it's important that they don't take your behaviour personally, that, you know, obviously you're experiencing something that is about your inner world and she's observant enough now to go, okay, he's in one of those spaces, I need to stay away and keep the kids away so he can process and get through this. But you've clearly got a history of being able to do that. You clearly have resources that enable you, like you said, to have self-awareness and help you pull out from the spiralling of those thoughts. What advice can you offer our listeners who get entrapped by these thoughts? What can they do 
to practically help themselves in the moment when they feel gripped by the fear of these thoughts. So as much as it's about you when you're on your inside, when you're inside your own head, I believe, and this has been the most um, beneficial for me, I believe you've got to make it about other people. So as much as you sit in your own head and you're dealing with your own thoughts, which may keep you called up in a ball in the corner of your bedroom, it's about doing things for others. So for me, I've made my life about helping other people. I've always been an extremely compassionate person because of my upbringing. I've always did my best to help out people who are less fortunate than me. And I've always given my time to people who need it, you know, in, in certain circumstances. So I realized, uh, and this is how, you know, the enemy within was born. Um, when I was speaking to uh, a lady uh, who helped, um, helped me to start speaking about this, um, I come to realize that everything that I was doing was about other people. You know, I was I was working in a, in, a, in my own boxing gym from 6 a.m. till 8 a.m. And then I'd work at a school from 9 till 3. Then I'd be back at the gym from 4 till 9. Every, my, all of my life was about helping other people. Um, and I realized that, and once I started speaking about what I do and then getting out on the road, the more I helped others, the more it helped me. Um, but there was a... a a really, really delicate balance with all of that is because you can't give from an empty cup. So you got to make sure that your own cup's full. Um, and for me, it's about uh, keeping my cup full, what people say as mental awareness or self-care. For me, it's about healing my spirit. For First Nation people, um, we never had mental illness or mental health issues in our communities for thousands of years. In the last 230 odd years, we've gone from zero suicides to the highest suicide rates in the world. What we did must have worked. What we're doing now is not working. So for me, that the conversation changed with it with an extremely two strong elders um, that that I'm quite connected with. Uh, one of them said. You're not mentally ill. I don't care what the doctors tell you. You're not mentally ill. You're spiritually ill. When you heal your spirit, that's when you'll get well. Uh, and then that second elder said to me when it was time to, for some cultural business, he said, if you stick close to doing what you do and what you learn out here, that was when I was, talk, when I was talking about a cultural ceremony, you stick close to what you learn out here and all your mental health problems will go away. You know, some years later, you know, I've still got to keep check on it. But when I'm not well, I get back to country. When I'm not well, I get back to cultural practice. When I'm not well, I heal my spirit. That's why a lot of my programs in, in my communities, in my language, is called Wallowin Gunyari, which means a healthy spirit. Well, that is so those traditional practices which sustained you know good well-being for your tribe is obviously with our lifestyle um was it hasn't been working i speak I'd, I'd recently um i studied um trauma recovery practice indigenous trauma recovery practice at uni wongong um and the lecturers were talking about all these like really 
you butte labels like connectedness and um, meditation and uh, you know all of these types of mindfulness exercises and I said I checked that I said you've just renamed everything that our old people did our ancestors did for thousands of years yeah. like if we get back to the practices that we did and that we have always done when there were no suicides in our communities then we'll go a long way to healing a lot of the issues that are happening now um, for me you know you look at a lot of the issues in our communities that's why the, the work that i do has changed a little bit now um, coming from a mental health approach to a trauma-informed approach where you're looking at the 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 flow-on effect of what trauma does to people and the the impact it has generationally um, you start to understand a little bit more about behaviors of people and i've always said you know, if, if we've got the behaviours, what's before the behaviours a lot of the time, um, unfortunately, is alcohol and substance. Before this alcohol and substance, we're using that as a Band-Aid uh, to cover up something. What's underneath the Band-Aid a lot of the time is trauma. We start to heal the trauma, we'll heal the behaviour. So, Joe, you had physical trauma from injuries. You know, you, you just got signed up. You had a major con concussion at 13. But what was it in 2012 that led you to that moment where you just went, I'm out, I'm checking out? And what was it that helped you to pull out of that? A combination of things. The combination of a marriage breakdown um, with my, my first two children, then I'd repartnered, um, had another child, separated again. Now, I'm, I'm pointing the finger thinking, what's wrong with everyone in my life? Well, there was only one thing that was in common with it all and it was me you know maybe it was me that was a destructive mess um and you know on the back of that second relationship breakdown thinking that you know my life wasn't worth living anymore i started to listen to that dialogue and and a lot of people say what what stopped you in that moment um nothing stopped me I, I, I tried within the power of my two hands, everything within my body to not be sitting here this evening. Um, something bigger than me kept me here. Uh, and when I, when I come to that realisation, that's when I realised that my life had to be about a bigger purpose. They say that the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and then the day you find out why you're born. You know, in living through that suicide attempt, um, and being hospitalized and you know spending some time in psychiatric facilities i realized my purpose had to be about other people had to be about helping people that were going through and experiencing these you know these these deep inner inner pains that that i was going through for such a long time and when i started to talk about it the connection with people who were struggling in silence you know i started to realize that you know, it ain't just me here. And 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 people were realizing that, you know, I, I was on a, a fairly large platform where with my sporting um, careers. So uh, people were like, well, if, if he can speak about it, maybe I can speak about it too. Like it's, you know, again, the, the stigma of not what everyone's saying out there, but the stigma of what we think everyone's saying out there um, that stops us, or, you know, from, from having the conversations uh, that you know in these in these safe spaces absolutely I remember uh, a few years before I met you actually I spoke at a suicide prevention conference and I remember looking around the room and 
I asked people to be very honest and very brave. I said, put up your hand if you've never had the thought. And everyone in that room had been touched by suicide. It was a charity event for Suicide Prevention Australia. And not one hand went up. And I was standing in the front of the room and all the hair on my body just stood up because I'd shared my story because I also had um, an event that, you know, a moment where I thought I'm out, you know. And the only reason I pulled out was my little boy woke up and he said, I love you, mummy. And it snapped me out of this haze. But what happened in that room when, when I asked people to just look around the room, there was this tentative movement to see because they were scared I think that they were the only one but then when they realized every single person in that room did not put their hand up and there was in that moment we were all connected and what I said all I said was that it's not that you have the thought that matters it's what you did with it that matters so I'd really love it if you would share with people Joe some practical ways for them to handle those dark thoughts when they come up. Yeah, you know, the, the easiest thing, the most common thing we all say is we got to tell someone, we got to make sure that somebody knows, but it's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? You know, when we're in those tough times and those tough circumstances. So for me, I, I do a lot of writing. Um, so for me, some days what I write doesn't make sense, you know, but I, but I get it out get it out of my head and get it down on the paper. And I might reflect on, on what I, what I write, you know, a month later and I'm like, wow, was I, was I really in that space? You know, like you, you have a look at it from the outside in and, and it's like, well, you needed some help back then, Joe. Um, but you know, it's, it's, you know, I always tell people and I, and I, I, I listen to a, a great uh, podcast a secret to success podcast uh, by a guy called uh, Eric Eric Thomas, who's um, the hip hop preacher, um, and he talks about a lot about stepping into the pocket. Like when you're when you're a quarterback and then you've got pressure from all around you, and you know there's 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 heat coming at you from every angle. The minute you start to run from it, the minute you're getting golfed, right? Uh, but he talks about stepping into the pocket. So when that heat is coming step into it a little bit and think to yourself, what and why is this happening? And when we start to have a look at the what and the why is it happening, we'll see that that the why is triggering a lot of these thoughts. A lot, the why is triggering a lot of these feelings, but also how we get through these feelings is by confronting the why. And then when we look at confronting the why, we start to put in little steps to be able to do that. So, you know, like anyone, I have a hell of a lot of why. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's often conversations with other people that when, you, when you're having this, you know, the, 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 it's like the penny drop moment um, that, that I get it a lot of the time. Um, so, so for me, it's, it's stepping into what scares the life out of you. Um, and, and you have to step into it to, to find progress. To find progress, that's when you find growth. Um, and then when you can reflect on that, you think, well, well, I'm a hell of a lot stronger than what I was in that last period. So next time it comes up, I'm going to go that little bit deeper, you know. So it's about really, 
I'm, I'm someone who thinks a lot and I'm someone who thinks really deeply about things. Um, so I analyze the, you know, the, the why of everything. I analyze people's behaviors as to why. And again, like, I spoke to you earlier about uh, the negatives of, of mental illness, the, the stigmas attached to the negatives of mental illness. One of the things that, I, that I, I'm diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and one of the symptoms of bipolar disorder is extreme creativity, but also extreme observation. So whilst I'm extremely observant of people's behaviours, people's words, people's actions, everything that they do, that also allows me and enables me to be good at what I do as a person who helps people with their mental health because when they're having those conversations I'm like hmm what did you mean by that man is it is it something that we that we need to talk about here um you know I spoke earlier about the dialogue that I have inside my head when I never worry about saying things off the cuff or in conversations with people because I've got about four or five conversations going on inside my head now (laughs) <laughs> at any one moment so I can always talk and decipher what's going on inside my head to then be able to uh, elaborate on it or articulate it, uh, you know, in, in the person. Wow. So, Joe, you said that some of these strategies was to tell someone, which is sometimes the hardest thing to do. You said write it out and get it out of your head. You also said stepping into the pocket and explore the why and to realise maybe that the why isn't real or as real as you think. Are there any other practical things that people can do to really help themselves in the grip of the fear of these thoughts? What, 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 I, what I'm extremely thankful of is that I've got someone who's extremely observant as well, you know, in, in my house that, that and, 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 you know, Mel, who's my manager, who... Who, who works with me. So, um, you know, she's been, you know, she's had uh, experience with with dealing with um, loved ones and, and people that she's cared for with bipolar disorder as well. So in in a conversation, she can tell when I'm manic and, and, and when I'm not well, you know, just because, because she's observant of my behaviours. And, um, you know, it's sometimes the hardest thing is, is that, you know, Unfortunately, our loved ones have to step on eggshells when when we're in our bad place and our space because we take it out on them before we even realise that we're in the tough time. So um, it's it's being able to have somebody close to you, that loved one, um, that friend, that support who who will tell you straight and tell you how it is. Because you know, whilst I have a mental illness, disrespectful behaviour isn't acceptable. You know, whilst I have a mental illness, it isn't an excuse for me to be, to to um, you know be rude to other people. You know, like that that that's on me. They're they're, they're my things. So um, you know, I, I've got people around me that support me. So can I ask you here? Because I can imagine that if someone is being disrespectful, how does this carer say it so it doesn't make it worse? Or what does this carer how does the carer need to approach it so it doesn't make the behaviour even worse? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Um, I'm I'm lucky that that those conversations have happened. Where and I again, I'm I'm someone who's extremely self-aware, so I know that I can't be disrespectful to people whilst I'm in my bad space, and I know that 
you know, we everyone, and, and this, this was another light bulb moment for me as well, is that once we realise that every single person that we interact with in every single day is just a product of their own conditioning, you know, their, their conditioning from their, from their birth, their conditioning from their upbringing, their conditioning from their genetic um, dispositions that they carry, you know. So every single behaviour that is negative towards us, I think whilst we don't accept negative behaviour or disrespectful behaviour, we also need to understand that it's a product of conditioning and upbringing. Um, so when people are, you know, uh, disrespectful towards me or even angry at me, I'm like, I don't take it personal because a lot of the time it's a reflection of what they're going through. So if someone's doing that to you, what would you say to handle it in the moment? If someone's being disrespectful to me, I'd say, I'd, I'd just pull them up with one word, projection. And then, then they question it. What's projection? Well, you're projecting what you're going through on me. Okay, and, and, and that ain't on, right? Because I'm me and you're you. If you've got something going on, let's talk it out. Let's get through it. But it's not right for you to project what you're going through onto me. Mm. Now, Joe, you've shared some pretty intimate information around your own personal experience here. And you've given us some really great uh, tips and strategies that people can use to assist and support themselves. I'm wondering if you could share what is the biggest lessons you've learned and how could that enable other people? The biggest lessons I've learned is, is about going deep within me, going, you know, learning, learning as much as I can about myself and my behaviours and my triggers and, and what they are and why they are. And, um, you know, once we, get, once we start to understand what our triggers are and, and, and why they happen and how they happen, then we start to manage our behaviours a lot better. Um, so for me, when that when when those sort of things happen, and you know, we understand why negative triggers happen. That's when we can start to uh, try and steer clear of those negative triggers. Uh, you know, so being aware of those sort of things. You know, sitting in a toxic fire uh, isn't healthy for anyone. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, there's, there's been relationships that I've been in that that person was more comfortable in the toxic fire than being surrounded by love. Um, now, for me, that isn't the lifestyle that I want to live. So I'll, I'll eject myself from that situation. So um, it's about understanding who you really are and, and, and knowing that I, I can't rely on anyone else to bring me happiness but myself. Mm. Right. Whilst if, because if I'm reliant on someone else, then that also brings me a vulnerable space to be let down by someone else. Mm. Um, where if I'm reliant on me, then I know that I can pick myself up when I need to. Mm. Uh, I know that if I'm down, then it's me that's going to pick myself back up. Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, it's about self-awareness and, you know, self-assessment is a big one for me in my life. So how did you do the turnaround? Just one last question, because I could talk to you all night, but I know it's not... We might need a part two. <laughs> yeah. um, how do you shift from victim to taking that personal responsibility and say, hang on, wait a minute, they can't change, the world can't rescue me, 
I need to take charge here. I think it's about having that growth mindset rather than again that 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 victim mentality of yeah I, I can sit here and, and a lot of people have said you know you're out there telling a poor me poor me story uh, and you know you're you're out there trying to you know make people feel sorry for you and I'm like well no if you actually sit down and listen to me I don't care about that I don't talk about the poor me of yesterday I talk about what I've done to get myself out of it what I continue to do to get myself out of it um, and again, that's someone else's projection, right? So it, it, it's about me making conscious decisions to want to do well. You know, we can toss a coin in our head every day of the week and come up with the easier option of sitting in the pain and you know not not wanting to get out of it because you know a lot of the time it's it it is it is easier to sit there and be uncomfortable than it is to confront what's actually going on with you. Um, because what's actually going on could be a direct reflection of the behaviors that you're having. That's uncomfortable for people. It was uncomfortable for me. But until I sat in those uncomfortable periods, I couldn't grow. I couldn't learn about me. I couldn't learn about the things that triggered me to be in a negative space. I couldn't learn about most importantly the things that could get me well so unbelievable if if people want to connect with you or know more where can we direct them my easiest uh, is my website on joewilliams.com.au. I had as an ex-boxer and ex-footy player to make it nice and easy. Yeah. Uh, too many knocks around the head. The memory is not fantastic. So joewilliams.com.au uh, and my Instagram Twitter handles are joewilliams underscore T-E-W for the enemy within. So Joe Williams underscore T-E-W and uh, the Enemy Within Suicide Prevention and Mental Wellbeing Education uh, Facebook page. Beautiful. Joe, thank you so much. What a tower of strength and, and wisdom you really are in the world. You've shown us that no matter what our circumstance, we really can rise and shine again. Thank you so much. Not only can we rise, Josie, it's about wanting to rise. You know, uh, th there's a lot of a lot of people that that we we sit in that again that that place that it's too hard and it is, but but we as individuals have to make that decision to want to rise from the ashes and as I say, step into the pocket. You know, get get into that pain and really sit in that uncomfortability, and that's where we'll find growth as a per as a person. Beautiful. Thank you, Joe. Now, if Joe Williams can do it, so can you. Did you like this podcast interview? Share your comments with me and tell me what you loved about this interview and how it's helped you. Help share the love by sharing the link with your friends so that they can rise and shine too. So until next time, remember, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's how you respond that counts. Shine on. You can shine.